This month we have been looking at hope, Christmas hope. It's been a hard year, as we have been reminded here this morning for many. It's been a hard year, and we realize that we live in a fallen and a broken world. But Christmas is a reminder to us of hope that has come to us in a baby that was born in a manger in Bethlehem, the very Son of God who has made flesh and dwelt among us. And so we've talked about Christmas hope in our wilderness. We are living east of Eden. We don't live in the good world that God created in Genesis 1, where everything that he had made was very good. But Adam and Eve sinned, and we sinned and fell in them, and we now lived east of Eden. We live not in a paradise, but we live more like a jungle, And we have seen that Christmas grace has come to us in the wilderness in which we live. We have seen also that Christmas grace has come to us in our own brokenness. We, too, are broken, not just the world around us. We have all fallen in sin and we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God And Christmas grace comes to us in the midst of our brokenness. And then last week we considered that this Christmas grace and this Christmas hope that we have has a name. And we considered the names of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is he is the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. His name is Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. Christmas hope in a name. And today I want to consider here briefly and I'll try to make this quick because we enjoyed sharing together of God's faithfulness. But Christmas hope forms a new and a glorious worldview. As we begin a new year. We are thankful as Christians, if we belong to Christ, that we have been given by the grace of God his truth, which helps us to see the world in which we live and to have a biblical Christian worldview. And as we come to understand this worldview, it is a it is a worldview that gives us hope as we live in this world. So as we begin this morning, what is a worldview? Well, it is the way in which everyone interprets the world around them. Every one of us, we look at the world and we have a worldview, whether we are conscious of it or not. As we grow up as children, we are learning about this world and we have lots of questions. I have a grandson and he's not yet talking, but I often wonder what's going on in his little mind as he's looking at this big world around him and trying to understand and interpret all of these things that are all new to him. And we all grow up that way, trying to make sense of this world in which we live. And we all develop in one way or another. We develop a worldview, and that is how we look at the world around us, how we interpret the world that is around us, the lens through which we look and interpret our world. 
And at the core of this worldview, there are really some very vitally important questions that are thought about and are addressed. Questions like this. Where did I come from? Where did the world come from? Why do I exist? Is there any purpose? Is there any meaning to life? Is there something that is above and beyond just this world? Is there something that is transcendent beyond this immediate world? Hemingway, his worldview, said that life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. That was his worldview, not a very hopeful one. Or this question, why am I and the world in the mess that we are? How do we explain the world as it is, where we see so much strife and division and we see so many wicked things? Where did this all come from? Where do I find hope if hope is to be found? Where do I find hope in the world? Is there hope? What happens when I die? What happens in the hereafter? What happens to our world? What is the destiny of our world? These are important questions, and these are things that help people to have a worldview and how they look at life and the lens through which they look at the world around them. Now, obviously, there are a lot of differing worldviews and worldviews come in conflict with one another. But as Christians, we have what we would call a Christian worldview. What is a Christian worldview? Well, obviously, those who have been born of God and united to Christ God has given to us the ability to see and to understand the world in which we live and to answer some of these very vitally important questions. So the world is as viewed is viewed for the believer through the lens of Scripture. This is how we interpret the world around us. It's not by our own abilities, our own wisdom, but it is through the lens of Scripture So Paul, writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, says this, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us his word, and it is this word that is the lens through which we are able to look at the world around us and we form and shape our worldview as we grow in the knowledge of Scripture. This is God's gift to us. And what a helpful gift it is, a wonderful gift that God has given to us. Now, as we think of this worldview that we have, if we're a believer, we're in Christ, This worldview has Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of this big worldview that we have. Jesus said in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures, speaking to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. These scriptures are speaking about me. You remember the two men on the road to Emmaus as Jesus walked with them. 
It was after his crucifixion. They were despairing. They thought he was the Messiah. He's been dead and crucified and put in a tomb. And now the resurrected Christ is walking alongside of them. And he says to them, as their eyes are being opened, O foolish, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to been in on that conversation as Jesus spoke to them, telling them from Moses and the prophets how all of these things were pointing to him, his sufferings and the glory that would follow. And so as we think of the Christian worldview, it comes from the scripture And it has as its centerpiece the Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his work, his life. And so now, thirdly, we want to consider what makes the cradle, the cross and the crown, the centerpiece of the Christian worldview. So we have the Bible that helps us to understand this world in which we live. But central to the message of the Bible is the person and the work of Jesus We can sum it up, cradle, crown, or cradle, cross, and crown. This is central to the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So why is this so important? Well, the incarnation of the Son of God and his mission addresses all the important questions that shape this worldview that as a Christian we have. It is Jesus Christ who helps us. To address these questions, answer these questions, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. John would say of the word that was made flesh that we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And it is in Jesus Christ, as we understand who he is and what he has done, that we really understand these very vitally important questions related to life. So in the cradle, the son of God, the incarnate son of God became a man. The creator became like the creation. That's a significant thing. God with us in the flesh. The cross. Why did he come? He came to die. He came to pay the penalty for the guilt and the sin of the sinner. He came to make propitiation for sin, to remove the wrath of God from the guilty sinner so they could be forgiven. And then we think of the crown. He was resurrected. He ascended above. He's at the right hand of the Father, clothed with glory, majesty, and all authority and power belongs to him. These are significant, significant events. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. And these are those things which help to shape our world view and give us hope. Christian hope, biblical hope, is not wishful thinking. It's not que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It is based upon historic, redemptive events. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. And how do these address 
these very important issues of life. Well, Jesus Christ has come into this world to restore the gulf that is between God and men. Sin separated us from a holy and a righteous God. It is Jesus Christ who takes the hand of God, as it were, the father and the hand of the sinner and brings them together and bridges that great gulf that has been brought about by sin. Adam and Eve had walked with God in the garden and had fellowship with him. And that was broken when they sinned and they were cast out of the garden and living east of Eden. Jesus Christ has come to restore the gulf that has come as a result of sin and our rebellion against God. We all have been like sheep going our own way in defiance of God, living our life for ourselves. And he has come to bridge that gulf. He's come to reconcile sinners to their creator, God. He has come to restore man's dignity. Is there purpose to life? Who are we? Are we just, you know, the product of evolution of time and chance? No, Genesis tells us that we were created in the image and the likeness of our God. What a dignified position made a little lower than the angels. Well, Christ has come to restore that. He has come to restore the image of God in a new humanity that he is raising up from the fallen sons of Adam. So there is this dignity that we see that Christ has come to restore. And we find that there is a purpose for our life. That we're not here by chance. We have been created to know and to serve the creator God who made us. The shorter catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose for which God has created us? He has created us. And the answer to that question is, why did he make us? And what is our chief end? It's so that we might glorify God and enjoy him forever. That my life has purpose. It has meaning. It has transcendent meaning beyond just this world that I have been created to reflect the very image of God and to live for his glory and honor. And that is a privilege that is given to us and a purpose that is worth living for. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. To die is gain. So there is meaning to my life. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true and the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. It is this message, this hope that that we find hope amidst death and despair in our world. Jesus has come to destroy that last great enemy of death through his incarnation, through his death. He has come to make propitiation and he has come to destroy death and to give us this life, eternal life, resurrection life. I am the resurrection and I am the life, Jesus said, and he who believes in me, he will live even though he dies. He will live even though he dies. When I stood yesterday beside Polly's grave as we were there to say our goodbyes, I quoted from 1 Thessalonians 4, and I said this, what we do today, we do in faith and in hope as we commit 
her body to the ground. One day, this body is going to be raised up again and restored to her soul that has gone to be with the Lord. And so Paul says that what we do as we think about a beloved brother or sister who has died in the Lord, that that even though we sorrow and even though we grieve, we do not grieve as the world that has no hope because we know that this Jesus is going to come again and he's going to raise up that body and there will be this great resurrection. This is what is promised to the believer. This is something that flows out of the gospel. So there is this hope that we have in the midst of this broken world, the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our king. He's inaugurated a kingdom. And one day that kingdom is going to be consummated. He's going to come again. We look to another advent. We rejoice and we celebrate the first advent of the coming of Christ. But we rejoice that there is a second advent that our king is going to come again. He's going to judge his enemies. He's going to bring about the full consummation of his salvation for his people. And he will bring about the consummation of his kingdom and he will rule and he will reign forever and ever. The Prince of Peace. So this is the hope that has been won for us by this one who came, was born, laying in a cradle. The one who went to a cross. The one who is exalted above and is crowned with glory and majesty. He addresses all these very important, very important, significant issues and questions And gives to the children of God a wonderful worldview by which we understand this world in which we live. So many other worldviews like Hemingway, they have no hope. Einstein himself, a very intelligent man said, our situation in this world seems strange. Every one of us appears here involuntarily and uninvited for a short stay and without knowing the whys and the wherefores. Bertrand Russell, who in the early 20th century was an atheist and he was an honest atheist. But he found atheism left him high and dry. He said this. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair may the soul's habitation be built. Have a good day. There's no hope in that, is there? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the, what is it, sweetest frame, but wholly lean. On Jesus' name, Christ the solid rock, we stand on him. We have a living hope that is in him. And so Christmas hope provides for the people of God, the people of Christ, a new worldview. You see, left to ourselves, our worldview would be much like these. It would be much like Darwin trying to explain this world apart from God. And we would be left in the darkness. There would be confusion. 
the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. But God in his grace has opened our eyes, hasn't he? He's opened our eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ and he has drawn us to him. And Paul tells us that by God's doing, we are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, wisdom from God to now see things aright, to understand more and more this world in which we live and to see the big picture of what God is doing in history and time. And what a glorious thing this is that that we're able to see the things that we see. Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are your eyes that see the things that you see. And blessed are your ears that hear the things that you hear. And God would say the same to us if we're in Christ. Blessed are your eyes that see by faith the things that you see. And that you're able to hear and understand the things that you understand when many are left to their own foolish ways of thinking that only lead to despair. But God has given us this worldview that comes to us through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what makes this Christ-centered worldview so glorious? It's in the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. And it is in that, I think it's the third verse, that Jesus has come to make his blessings known, what? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, Jesus has come to make his blessings known. So it gives meaning to us as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives meaning to us and purpose and joy in this present fallen world. It's a hard world we live in, if we're honest with ourselves. We look at the world situation. We look at our own nation. We see so many things. We see the brokenness of our world. But there is hope for the believer. There is hope for us as we live in the midst of this fallen and broken world. God, by his grace, has translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear, beloved son. And we belong to him. We have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. These have been given to us by God's grace. We have been adopted. We have been brought into his family. Jesus is our Savior, and he saves us from all of our sins. He has forgiven us, and that is our greatest need. He has dealt with our sin problem that we cannot fix. Only he can. And he has fixed the sin problem by absorbing to himself in our place the wrath of God so that God would be free to forgive us and to receive us as his children. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. That's what the child of God can say. So we can say that there is a sense in which I have been saved. There's a sense in which I am even right now being saved by the grace of God. And ultimately, one day I will be saved finally and fully.
God's grace and his goodness and mercy to me in Christ. Jesus is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's the one that leads me in the paths of righteousness. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness and death, I need not fear any evil. For I am with you, Jesus says. I'm so thankful for Polly. Again and again, she said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to meet my Savior. I'm not afraid. That's the hope that Christ gives. That's a worldview that we have of of death itself. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's an advocate. He's an intercessor. He is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed. He will not break and a smoldering wick. He will not snuff it out. Sometimes we feel like that. We feel like the flames just about to go out in our life. But Jesus comes and he flame. He, he fans the flame. He gives us hope. He sustains us. He's merciful and he is gracious. Well, there are many other things. But we are confident of this as we look to a new year that he who began the good work in us, he's going to continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. This work he's begun, he's going to continue in the year before us and he will go with us and he will be with us. His mercies again will be new to us every morning and he will remain faithful. So it helps us to understand now as we live in this fallen world, we have hope. He has promised that he's working all things together for good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, even in our darkest days. And just lastly, real quickly, we also know that it gives hope for the world to come. We have a glorious future ahead of us. There is a promise that Peter says that one day Christ is going to come. And he's going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's hard for us to even comprehend a world like that. But he will bring it to pass. And he will make all things new. And in that world, there will be no more crying, no more death, no more disease, no more tears. He will make all things new. We thank the Lord for that hope. We will no longer struggle with sin. I'm so anticipating that sin will forever be behind us. We will be given a new body, a glorified body, and our spirit will be made whole. And we will worship and love God with all of our heart, soul and strength, never struggling again with remaining corruption in us. I long, long for that day. So we have a wonderful worldview that has been given to us by the gospel through Jesus Christ. And as we close, I want to ask you, do you have such a worldview as that? Do you have a worldview that gives meaning to life and hope in the face of some hard and difficult questions and issues? Well, I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. It's found here in Jesus Christ, the Savior who came into this world to undo the effects of the curse. 
As far as the curse is found, he has come to make his blessings known. I would encourage you, I beseech you to flee to this one who alone has the words of eternal life. Well, thank you for being patient. I know we've gone a little long here today. But I am so thankful to God for the light that he has given to us in Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And he says, he who believes in me will not remain in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.